listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Daily Bread. Um, Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. It's in Luke chapter 11. This is Luke's account of the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. What, for a large part of church history, was simply called the Our Father. Um, in Latin, it was the Paternoster. It was the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We find this prayer in both Matthew and in Luke. But in Luke, Luke also pairs it with a parable about bread. And so that's what the passage is today. And so we're going to read it. And then we'll talk about it a bit. So this is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to a time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, you will find. Knock, the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, you will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen. So I think we're going to start with this parable, and we'll talk a bit about different ways we might interpret it, and then we'll kind of work our way back to the prayer. So I remember hearing this story before, and I thought, partially because of my experience in prayer, that the story was a story about God, like God was the, the, the fellow who's already locked the door, kind of already gone to bed. And I'm the guy who's kind of coming to God because I have a need. You know, a guest has shown up and I need to give him something to eat. And so I come knocking and asking God, wake up, wake up, God. I have a need. Can you, can you answer my prayer? Can you give me something I need? And so sometimes God responds and sometimes God seems not to respond. And so I thought it was about persistence. Just keep on knocking. Just keep on asking. Just keep on praying. And eventually, I guess, we would what? Uh, Pester God into giving us what we need? 
That's an interesting view of God, isn't it? I mean, that makes God sound like God's kind of lazy or stingy. So perhaps that's not the best reading of that parable. So in the ancient world, this was definitely an honor and shame culture. And the honor and shame was based on kind of caring for one another. So the idea that if a guest showed up at your house and you didn't have bread to give them, going to your neighbor's house at any time of day or night would have been expected. Like, if you had a, if you had a guest show up at your house and you didn't have something, I would expect you to come to my house. There was being an expectation that I would be ready and willing and, and kind of delighted to get to provide for you, my friend, some bread, which you're not even asking for yourself. You're asking for your guest, right? So in that honor and shame culture, none of them, no one hearing Jesus speak would have acted like the in-bed, locked-door, stingy fellow. Like the worst of the worst would not have acted like that. And so, as opposed to reading this parable and thinking asking, seeking, knocking is the key to understanding it. So we got to kind of pester, 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 persist, persist, persist. It's like, you know, it's like my little children. They keep asking for things. Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. 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 There's this one uh, clip from The Family Guy. It's a cartoon. You might know it. It's a, it's a little crude, so, but sorry about making reference here in the pulpit. Um, but uh, there's, there's, a, there's a baby in the show who's very verbal. And, and in the clip, he kind of shows up, and he's like, Mom, 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 Mama, Mama, Mother, Mother, Mom, Mother, Mom, 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 Mother, Mama. And finally, she's like, yes. And he's like, Hi. <laughs> But God doesn't get impatient. God is the greatest of all givers. So if we look back at verse 13, it says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The one we are praying to is, is the greatest, is the, is the best giver, is the giver of givers is the one who has given us the Son and the one who has given us the Spirit. Despite whatever our existential experience of prayer might be, God is not like that stingy guy who has to be pestered. God is ready and willing and giving. God is giving us to all the time. He's giving us the breath we breathe, right? Like we, we need bread. We need water and we need flour. But Paul will tell his congregation in Corinth, look, one of us can, can plant and the other us can water, but only God gives growth. God gives life. And God wants us to be givers too. So one way to understand this parable, as opposed to the idea that God's the one who has to be pestered, let's kind of take that reading and set it aside and think, mm, that's not the God we worship. So another way to see it is to see it as that person, the, the person who's in bed and won't, doesn't want to unlock the door and what have you, is kind of a foil in the story. It's like kind of the ultimate example of what not to do. Yeah? And then 
any of us are supposed to kind of realize that we're supposed to be the inverse of that fellow. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with a guy, again, who's coming at night to ask. In an honor and shame culture, that would have been anticipated, expected. Right? There's nothing wrong with the guests who've shown up. Everybody's kind of playing by the cultural rules. Their body politic is working exactly the way it's supposed to. And so one key, I think, to understanding the parable, perhaps, is this. The person who's coming to his friend's house and knocking is not asking on his own behalf, but is asking, really, on behalf of the guest. And I think one of the key parts to prayer is just that, that prayer is about intercession. Now, I know a lot of things take place in prayer. There's praise and there's thanksgiving. Interestingly enough, neither one included in the Lord's Prayer. You might have noticed that Luke's version of the prayer is a bit shorter. It doesn't contain all the phrases that we do have in Matthew. It's like the abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer, like the Lord's Prayer light. <laughs> um, but I think uh, sometimes that prayer gets kind of um, talked negatively about because they're like, hey, there's no praise, there's no thanksgiving, it's just all these petitions, kind of weird petitions. We'll get, we'll get to that in just a minute. But I think it's the, what the parable is teaching us about the prayer is that it's not simply about petition, like give me something. It's about intercession. It's about I have a guest who needs bread. The Lord's Prayer, as we call it, is in the first person plural and therefore cannot be prayed in the first person singular. You can pray a prayer that's similar to the Lord's Prayer by saying, my father, and forgive me and give to me what I need, right? But that's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is our father. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us as we forgive others. Like every single pronoun in the entire prayer is in the first person plural because it's about us. It's not just about me. That kind of ego, uh, egoism, kind of egocentric is, is part of what our kind of natural selves might lean toward. It's certainly what our culture tries to get us to embrace. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is about us. And I think prayer, in this case, is about intercession. Because the one who is coming and asking is asking for the guest who has shown up. So I think that's a, that's, a, that's a possible kind of viable way to read the parable. So we had one way that we're not going to read it, right? Where, where God is the one who has to be pestered. That's not, that's not the God we serve. The other is that this is primarily about intercession, right? It's about, you know, the one who's going out on behalf of others. I think that's very, very legitimate. There's another way, though, that we might read this prayer. And that is, we might see the one who's coming knocking as God. Like, God is the one who's knocking at the door. And God might be knocking at our door, saying, hey, I see somebody over here who needs some bread. And we're like, 
I'm already asleep. And God knocks on our door again and says, Hello, neighbor. We've got someone over here who needs some bread. My kids are in bed with me and the door is already locked. As if to say, <laughs> the door's locked, therefore, God, I can't respond to you. You know how you unlock a door? <laughs> now the door's not locked anymore. Not so hard, right? So what if God is the, is the neighbor who comes to us and saying, hey, if, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're supposed to be caring for those in need. There's someone who needs bread, and you've got some. So you should share your bread with them. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer often includes words, but prayer is not reducible to words. Francis of Assisi says something similar about preaching. He says, preach at all times, and if necessary, use words. I love that. Preach at all times, and if necessary, use some words. I might say the same thing about prayer. We'll rift a bit on Francis, right? Pray at all times, and if necessary, use words. Paul will talk about this when he talks about prayer. He says sometimes prayer are sighs too deep for words. Like sometimes you're just worn out. Things are not going your way. Or perhaps you're carrying the burden for someone else. You, a close friend or a fellow church attender is going through it, you know, and it's tough. And you're losing some sleep and you're thinking about them and your mind is kind of bent toward them. And sometimes you're just, you know, sitting at a red light and you're like, that might not sound like a prayer to you. But if I'm understanding Paul correctly, that's a sigh too deep for words. You can't put into words what they need, right? It's too deep. It's too real. And so you just sigh. And that's the Spirit of God within you praying to the Father, saying, care for those in need. You know, heal those that are sick. Uh, you know, bind up those that are wounded. Provide for those that are in need. That's, that's what prayer is. It, prayer is a life. It's a life spent with God. It's about awareness. I know sometimes in church settings, we talk about kind of inviting the presence of God. You know, well, you can sing about it. You know, come Holy Spirit. We sang that earlier, right? But what are we really saying in all that? I think it's appropriate to say those things. But I think mostly what we're saying is we're saying to ourselves, be aware, self, of the very presence of God that is near you. Right? The psalmist will say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Like sometimes we have to like, tell our soul, hey soul, wake up and pay attention. God is here. God is so close, is so near. And, and prayer is about an awareness of those things. I've talked about this before some, but it, it bears repeating in, in this context. Elizabeth Barrett Browning has this beautiful poem. It's like 90 pages long. It's more of a, more of a novel, short novel. 
But it's, it's a very lengthy poem, and there's a particular stanza in it that I love. I once got in an argument with Matt Hewitt about who loved it more, <laughs> because that's what you're supposed to do with poetry, argue about superlatives. It's like the worst possible way to treat poetry, but anyway. Matt and I are arguing about who loved that poem more, and I'm like, Matt, you don't get it, buddy. I'm like, this, this, this poem, and particularly that stanza, has really impacted me. And he raised up his shirt, and there's a ta it was tattooed on his arm. <laughs> like, okay, you win. But the stanza goes like this. It says, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every bush ablaze. But only those who see take off their shoes. And the rest of us just sit round and pick blackberries and dab our natural faces unaware. So there was a burning bush, I believe, on Mount Sinai. But I also believe that every bush is burning with the presence of God. It's not like that, like God was on Mount Sinai, but not in Auburndale, right? God was on Mount Sinai, but not in Bartow or Lakeland or Plant City or what have you. No, God is close and God is near. And to pray is to be aware of that, is, is to surrender ourself and our ambition and just say, thank you, Father, Holy One. Help me be aware of your presence, of your love, of your grace, of your mercy, of your forgiveness, of your provision. So, so to the prayer now. Um, we'll, we'll read the parable in kind of a dual way. One in, one in the sense that part of what the parable is teaching us is intercession, not simply petition. And the other is that God is trying to control us <laughs> to become intercessors. So the prayer itself is in two stanzas. Right? It opens up, Our Father, the one in the heavens, let your name be sanctified. Let your kingdom come. Let your will happen or come to be as in heaven, also on earth. That is, that is a prayer of surrender. That's, that's, that's nothing about me, and it's everything about God. It's, 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 in fact, it's not even about us, right? It's about God. It's having all of us kind of pray together this surrender. God in heaven, let your name be sanctified. Let it be holy. Let it be hallowed. Let, let your kingdom come. Let your will happen as in heaven, also upon earth. And that's how the prayer opens. Now, there, there's a couple of things perhaps that's going on there. This kind of futuristic part of the prayer, like let your kingdom come and let your will happen or come to be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it seems to assume that God's kingdom and God's will is in heaven and it's working the way it's supposed to work. But we're praying for that reality, that heavenly reality of God's will and God's kingdom to be happening on earth as it is happening in heaven, which suggests that there are ways in which God's kingdom and God's will even are not happening 
on Earth. Is that possible? Depending on how you grew up as a Christian, what you think about God, can God's will be thwarted? Can we do something other than what God intended? I certainly hope so. Because I have no idea how to explain the brokenness of the world without that. Like, if I look around and this is what God's will looks like, God's will stinks. There's, there's too much pain. There's too much sorrow. Right? We can, we can all tell the stories either that we've experienced or that we've heard. Right? There, there are too many girls who have been abused. There are too many uh, people who have died violently. There's, there's too much wrong. Like This cannot be what God's will looks like. But maybe that's why we're told to pray for it. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have a hope. We're leaning in to the future with an expectation that God's going to come and he's going to make things right. So there will be a day when the kingdom has come and the will is done. And we're praying for that. And eventually we'll see that. I think that's exactly how this book ends. Remember when you're in like grade school or middle school? Or if you're my age, they called it junior high? Yeah. And you had math books? Yeah, math books? You had math class? And in the math book, in the back of the math book, there were the answers to the odd questions. And so your, your teacher always gave you the even ones. Yeah? Did you realize the Bible is just like a math book in that regard? All the answers to the odd questions are in the back of the book. Yeah, it's called the book of Revelation. And it's an odd book. And it has the answers to your odd questions. Like, how does this stuff end anyway? How can we ever... What's the, what's the, the calculus of heaven? You know, what's the alchemy of the kingdom? How can all of this ever work out? Well, you read Revelation, and there's the answers to the, all the odd questions, and it ends like this. The final vision in Revelation is not an ascension story. It's not a people going up somewhere, you know, up, up, and away. In the wild blue yonder. That's the Air Force, right? Somewhere over the rainbow. Wizard of Oz. To a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. To, to a place that no one has gone before. That's Star Trek. Yeah. No, it's none of that. The vision is a descension story. It's of the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, descending. That's how the story ends. And the gates of the city are never shut. And there's, uh, you don't need a sun or a moon because God is the light. And you don't need a temple because Jesus is the temple. And there's a, tr and there's a river of, of life with trees of life for the healing of the nations. And it seems to me like the answer to the Lord's Prayer. Like 
all this time since Jesus, we've been praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the final vision is of God's kingdom and God's will coming to earth as it is in heaven. And it's peaceful. And it's settled. And it's resolved. The second half of the prayer is is interesting, you know, Give us today our daily bread. Uh, forgive us our, our uh, debts as we forgive other people's sins. Lead us not into temptation. Like what in the world? Why would you need to pray that? Like that's what I meant when I said that the prayer, the petitions seem a little uh, off. Like who do you think you're praying to when you say lead us not into temptation? You think you're praying to someone who would typically lead you into temptation? I mean, I'm pretty sure there's another part of the book that says God doesn't tempt us. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. But again, a couple of notes to strike. One, it maintains that first-person plural. And while a lot of scholars think that the prayer has this kind of wilderness wandering motif, it's very austere, like just, just give us enough to survive, I tend to think that that's not what it's saying. Like, when we say, give us our daily bread, it might sound like that, but, it, but a more kind of static translation would be, give us today the, the daily bread, the, the, the manna, right? It's like in, in the wilderness, they had just enough to kind of survive, and whatever wasn't used would spoil, but I think the kingdom is more than that. There, and there's, there's a lot of other folks, myself included, who think the double use, two different words for day and daily there, but the double use of it is to suggest that what we're actually asking for is more than enough. That we're asking for an abundance, which is an interesting thing to ask for. But I think it's exactly what Jesus says the kingdom is like. That the the kingdom, that Jesus has come to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. So that we're going to have enough bread, not just enough to eat, but enough to share. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Is kind of share our stuff. To make sure that those who are needy don't go without, which is exactly what then the parable focuses on, right? Someone has shown up, and they need some, something to eat. And there's the person, and, and they kind of come over and say, hey, can you provide, right? There's, there, there is enough. There is a myth of scarcity that our culture tells, and many cultures have told throughout time. And that myth of scarcity says there's not enough, and you better hold on to what you got. Because if you let go of some of that, maybe your family will be without. And what I want to say is that we are family. This is our family. And even those who don't profess faith in Jesus are still created in the image of God. Jesus still died for them. And, And one of our responsibilities is to go out and find them and introduce them to their Heavenly Father who sent the Son and who gives the Spirit, which is exactly what this text says 
If you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit? There is no greater gift. For the Spirit is the Spirit of life. The Spirit that creates life, the Spirit that sustains life. The Spirit is the Spirit of prophecy that, that speaks the, the fresh and ever-giving life of the Word of God. It's what happens in Revelation too, in Revelation as well, that is, is that the Spirit kind of speaks the words of Christ to the churches. It's what John told us would happen, that when Jesus left, that they wouldn't be left alone, but that God would send another comforter, right, who is the Spirit, who then leads us into all truth. This is the promise, and it's a promise that has been fulfilled. And we, my friends, are called to it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I added both Matthew's bit and some other bit that got added later in the church, but it's all part of the prayer that we have now received. So I want to kind of end by saying this, kind of coming back around to an, to an idea that I mentioned earlier, that the prayer doesn't always have to be so articulate. That the prayer is also a life that is lived, a song that is sung, and perhaps even a dance that is danced. One time, there's a story that's told that a Russian ballerina had performed this ballet, and afterwards someone said, well, what did it mean? They asked the ballerina, and she said, well, if I could tell you what it meant, then, then I wouldn't have had to dance. The laughter, the tear, the sigh, the cry, the dance, the life are all prayer, taking place in the very presence of the living God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.